Hello and welcome to Personally Invested. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. Today, we finally get to sit down with someone that I think is one of the real forward thinkers in the Canadian investment industry, and that's Stu Kedwell, Senior Vice President and Co-Head of North American Equities with RBC Global Asset Management. Stu has had a very interesting career, how he started with RBC and how through his path towards his current role, he ended up working with some of the great, great minds, some of the most intelligent minds in the history of the Canadian investment industry. And one of the things you'll remark about with Stu is his incredible humility, his intellectual curiosity, and that all belies the fact that he himself is probably one of the smartest people you'll ever listen to. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Stu, welcome to Personally Invested. Great, thanks Dave. This is uh, far, far, far too late in coming. We were hoping to, to, to get you to get you on uh, as one of our first guests, but uh, just our, our, our schedules haven't connected. So it's, uh, it's, it's my oversight not having you or, or, uh, or miss not getting you here earlier, but it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, so, so Stu, uh, when, we, when we have someone on the first time, we always like to, uh, to get a little bit of uh, understanding of, uh, of how they got to where they are. Uh, your, your illustrious uh, childhood and early career uh, to get you to the point of, of, of being one of the most important uh, investment managers in Canada. And so, uh, so where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Toronto, uh, uh, born and raised. Uh, uh, my mom used to say I always lived within laundry distance uh, for a good <laughs> part of my life. And uh, then I went to Queen's University. And, uh, that's a very good school, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went there too. I, well, Doug so, and I, oh, Doug, is... Doug and I joke cause Doug went to Huron college, which was where my whole family went to. And I was the first to go to Queens and I don't hold it against him and he doesn't hold it against me. So. Excellent. Excellent. And, and then, so, so you, so you graduate and then, uh, and then what's your, what's your first step out of school? Uh, my very first step out of school was to come work for the Royal bank. I, uh, uh, about 23 years ago, uh, started at Dominion Securities uh, in their training program, the General's training program, which was uh, uh, six months in corporate finance, six months on the bond desk, six months in research, and uh, six months with private clients. That, that's that's where our, our, our personal paths uh, deviate because uh, I wasn't smart enough to be on the Generalist program. You had to be a, <laughs> so you had to be one of the really super smart kids to uh, to, to get onto that. Well, it's actually, it's funny, uh, you know, I think I got, I think I got pretty lucky uh, in many respects. Uh, I had very little uh, finance background. I'd washed windows and uh, sold futons and worked in a copy center uh, before I, uh, before I got my job. And I, I used to, uh, I always remember I, you know, they asked me if I own any common stocks and, um, and I said I own Minnesota mining and manufacturing because my grandmother had given me some shares and the person interviewing me said, oh, 3M? And I said, no, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. <laughs> and he said, that is 3M. And <laughs> I was pretty certain the interview process was over right then, but uh, I made my way through. Yeah, well, you see, no, you, you took the smart route because most people know 3M, but a lot of people don't know that 3M <laughs> is Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. So you were, you, were, uh, you were ahead of the curve there. That's right. So, so, uh, so, so you, you get into Dominion Securities. Yep. And uh, you start off, uh, again, generalist program, which uh, for, for those listening is, is, a, is a program that, that RBC runs. I think a lot of firms run. Uh, they bring in top students and sort of move them around the organization to, uh, to learn about it uh, because they're going to go on to, uh, to great success. They're, they're pegged early. And, and so uh, you rotated around. Where did you get to? Uh, well, uh, as a, you know, so I, you know, probably the two things that really uh, struck me when I, or three things when I struck, struck me when I was there was 
Um, you spend about eight weeks uh, on the bond desk, and um, what you do is you you keep the inventory up to date for the bank's trading desk. And uh, it's all been automated now, but back then uh, it was a very manual process, and and you know the traders were maintaining very large inventories of bonds for the the bank to be active in, and they would buy and sell these bonds, and you had to make sure that their that their inventory was up to date so that they knew exactly where they were positioned and whether or not they were exposed to anything. And um, you know this this job uh, by far and away taught me the intensity of the capital markets uh, yeah. in a manner that uh, that's very hard to to describe. And uh, and you know I think I think about it a lot because. You know, I would wake up in the middle of the night. Did I miss a trade? Is everything uh, squared off? There was a couple of days where you made a mistake, and you learned that uh, you know your mistakes have real consequences. But uh, you know, just around certain economic events and watching how the market would react to them, uh, it really gave you a flavor that um, you know that there was a lot of intensity to the uh, to the day to day movements, the minute to minute movements in uh, in markets, and there was there was things to be taken from those movements. So it was uh, it was really beneficial. Um, my other rotation, which, uh, you know, I was, I was particularly fortunate because I worked, uh, one of my rotations was for George Lewis in uh, research where we did, uh, uh, economic value added analysis on a variety of companies. And this was really like learning, you know, what happens to the capital inside of a company. They generate cash flow. What type of return do they earn with it? What do they do with it? Are they productive with it? So it was, uh, you know, it was a great, you know, one, it was work, a great working for George, but um, it was also really helpful to really understand like how a business evolves over time. And uh, and we spent a lot of time studying, uh, you know, back then it was studying Loblaws, which uh, which uh, was a real, you know, an, an economic value added uh, oriented yeah. company. Yeah. And uh, that was very helpful. And uh, my other, my next rotation was I worked for Doug McGregor. So, uh, you know, there was a period of time there where I'd work for for two of the people that were involved in running the bank, and um, yeah, yeah. So just just for background, yeah. George Lewis was uh, was the head. Uh, ultimately, became the head of RBC Wealth Management. He's one of the biggest wealth managers in the world, and and George is arguably the smartest person I've ever met. I mean, he must have 170 <laughs> IQ. Just a just a brilliant guy. And Doug McGregor runs uh, still runs Capital Markets. That's at, right. uh, at RBC. That's right. Uh, exactly. Uh, so you know, I was I was lucky because I got to you know work for those two. Uh, then I, I went. I went to work for Doug McGregor, and that was the real estate investment banking arm. And that was right when REITs were starting. Yeah. And uh, it was the mid '90s, and uh, uh, there was two big REITs in Canada. One was Crete, one was uh, Rio Can, and then a, a Canadian apartment REIT was just going public at the time, and a handful of others. And it was really when income-oriented investing started to come to the capital markets in the form of real estate investment trusts, which had largely been a, an institutional or private market business. And um, that was one of my that was that was something I got to see very early in my career, and uh, also uh, hugely hugely value added. And um, and uh, my last rotation was to work for Doug Raymond, ah. who's who's now my who's now my partner. Um, so you know it was just a great a great two years. Uh, it was like I called it like the MBA of RBC. Uh, couldn't believe it got paid. Uh, just uh, you know kind of you know drank it all up and and learnt and learnt and learnt and it was fantastic. Um, and, and, and that was, uh, and, and, and what's so important, it was going to be my next question is, uh, the, the association with, uh, with Doug, who you've worked with for how many years now as, as, as your, well, your, yeah, 21 years, 21 uh, years. Yeah. Um, and it's such a great partnership. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a great it's a great partnership. It's a great friendship. Uh, you know, it uh, you know he's been hugely important to me on a variety of levels, and um, and that all began back then. Um, yeah, you know, he, so. he's he's actually too funny to have on the podcast. That's why we. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. why we, we we didn't have him down today. Um, yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, um, you know, I think I think you know each of those three people were such students of capital markets too. That was the other thing that you know different different elements in each one. But um, you know, I I uh, I really learned a lot. You know, and a lot of the other people at Dominion Securities too. The list of. Uh, of people I've learned from uh, is uh, too long to mention on a podcast, but you know, just this kind of endless curiosity that many of them had about uh, the different roles that they had and and uh, how businesses worked, how to make money in the stock market. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate. And 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 this is a uh, just an ongoing theme with this podcast with all the guests we've had on on thus far, and I think you're <laughs> maybe the best representative of that is just that intellectual curiosity. The people who are successful. Uh, as investment managers, they have to have that just uh, almost endless desire to learn and to understand everything that's going on around them and around the world, and it just feeds right into what they do, uh, at, you know, managing people's money. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting you say that. I just got back from vacation, and and one of the quotes I saw in one of our stops, which I thought was fantastic, which is. Uh, the, the cure to boredom is curiosity, and there is no cure to curiosity. It yeah. just goes on and on and on. So, yeah. So, so, uh, so you and Doug, yep. Uh, and 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 what we'll, we'll we'll spend the remainder of the time on have a a, a pretty uh, a, a pretty solid or and and longstanding view of 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 how you invest and your responsibility as an investment manager. It's documented. You uh, you you've written it all out. So why don't you why don't you talk about uh, so we so we we've talked about how you got here, but how did that build into the specifically into the the, the philosophy for investing you have and 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 outline sort of what are what are your principles that that you think are so important to be successful managing other people's money? Uh, yeah, like, like fantastic uh, question. You know, I think I think between Doug and Dan, um, you know, have to we have to give. Uh, you know, some credit when I started uh, in the business after my rotational program, I, I quickly joined Dan's uh, investment Dan strategy. Chornis, Dan Chornis, the, 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 the chief investment, investment officer at, at Global Asset Management, RBC. And, um, you know, Doug and Dan have been uh, the biggest influences on my investment process. And, and it's a kind of twofold. Like from Doug, uh, you, know, you, you know, the major learning there is that more things can happen than will happen. And that the stock market every day is trying to discount uh, and by discount, I mean uh, price in a whole variety of potential outcomes. Yes. And each day when price moves, it's reweighting those probabilities of what could take place. So you know you need to really have a very a very broad uh, idea in your head of what could happen. And um, and once you became comfortable that volatility was just the stock market's way of sorting that out, then it was a lot less stressful. And then from Dan, uh, you know, what I really learned was there's all these little factors that put the odds in your favor. And, you know, small, you know, improve, improve uh, probabilities on this, improve on that, improve on this. There was no one kind of magic bullet uh, to being a successful investor. It was using as many tools in your toolkit as you can imagine and, and really trying to gain an edge uh, across, um, across each one of those little aspects. 
was if you married the two and you took a very consistent approach to the stock market and were very open in what you think could happen, that uh, that you could kind of constantly tweak the portfolio to to have as much positive optionality as uh, as you could relative to uh, to the long-term outcome that you're trying to achieve. So, uh, you know, Doug is my partner on a daily basis, and that's what we're doing inside the funds. But, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, Dan has had a very influential uh, role as well because he's very evidence-based, and it's very much like, you know, how do we kind of put permanent, uh, permanent uh, gain into the portfolio? Like, how do we uh, recast the data so that um, if we consistently apply that, you know, the odds, the odds of, of our success go up. Yeah, and, and then, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're probably best known for the, for the work you've done on the, uh, uh, in terms of managing dividend stocks in, in Canada. Uh, and I know you're a firm believer in, in dividend investing. Why do you think that's such an important thing for not just Canadian investors, but investors all around the world uh, to, to, to keep in mind as they're, as they're building their portfolios? Well, I think when you start with, if you have a strategy that's filled with dividend stocks, you're you're owning a set of businesses that have a certain degree of stability to them. Um, what they've demonstrated is that the business can produce uh, excess cash flow above and beyond the needs of the business, and uh, and you know that that's very powerful because uh, the excess can be distributed to shareholders. Some of the excess can be distributed. Some of the excess can be reinvested in the business. Uh, some of the excess could be used for share buyback if the assets are cheap and the price of the stock market, or they can be used for strategic activity through mergers and acquisitions and what have you. And and um, you know, good dividend uh, stocks normally can uh, offer you each one of those four uh, potential positive outcomes. Um, you know, I think from you know pretty early in my career and watching other successful successful investors, you know, the, the, real, the real important thing to a success in your portfolio, whether or not it's, uh, you know, an investment strategy, your own personal portfolio is, you know, compounding your money over very long periods of time. Um, you know, my dad, you know, early in my life taught me the rule of 72. Yes. You know, take the return, put it into 72. That's how many years it'll take for your money to double. And um, when you look at dividend strategies and you find a, a bunch of good companies that are yielding in the neighborhood of 3 or 4% and you think you can get a pretty good idea about how those dividends can grow at, say, you know, 5-ish plus percent over long periods of time, then you have this group of, of businesses that with some degree of stability should be able to compound uh, between, say, 7 and 9% and you should be able to double your money at least every 10 years. And... Um, you know, maybe it was at the time I was younger, but even now, like when you have two or three potential doubling periods left in your life, uh, you know, that becomes, that be, could become quite lucrative over, over periods of time. And it lets, you know, kind of like water on stone is one of our favorite stains, uh, you know, just it lets it kind of pound away for you as, uh, as, as time progresses. And then, of course, the, the great thing about the strategy as well is that, you know, it's, it's great for compounding, but also when you get into retirement, and you're very focused on the purchasing power of your money and you're collecting the dividends from that business. But if they're still growing, and even though you may not, you may be then using a portion of your seven to 9% return, um, if they're growing, they're protecting uh, the purchasing power of your money. So if, uh, if your stock price is going up and down and it has a little bit of volatility, but you're getting you know, good current yield and uh, it's growing by 5% or maybe two times inflation, 
then uh, you know, as someone who's retired, you don't have to you don't have to worry about that degradation that um, that often happens to people when they uh, when they hit that stage of their life. So, you know, I, I you know obviously I believe in it in both parts. Uh, you know, for both accumulation and decumulation, I think it's a very powerful uh, component of uh, of a portfolio. And and I, I and I know from uh, from hearing you speak uh, o- over the years. Uh, one of the interesting philosophies you have, and so we're we're we're, we're taping this on uh, on August fifteenth, twenty nineteen. Uh, yesterday, uh, the yield curve in the U.S. for for a little bit of time, the two two year Treasury bill and ten year uh, Treasury bill inverted, uh, which triggered a lot of fear that a recession is coming somewhere down. Then we're not going to get into the recession forecast uh, because when we're investing, we're investing for the long term, and I know you think about it that way. And you've talked before about how you think about recessions and that recessions are going to come. Yep. So we don't know exactly when, but recessions are going to come in my, uh, in my lifetime as an investor. And, and how do you, do you, do you, do you play that into to messaging around how people should think about investing long term? Well, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great point. It kind of relates back to that rule of 72. Like we know that we, know that, uh, we might compound in the neighborhood of 7 or 8% over a 10-year period of time. But we also know that the likelihood of any one of those years being seven to eight percent is yes, very low. Exactly. So uh, you know, the best thing you know, people say, well, how do you how do you think about a recession? And I just say, well, I expect to see one, if not two, in every ten-year cycle of investing. Yes. And um, you know, as I as I you know kind of stated with uh, you know I mentioned when you know with with some of Doug's philosophies and things like that, like if you're willing to believe that there's a wide range of outcomes at any given point in time, it is. It's de-stressing, right? And by that I mean uh, you've thought about all sorts of things in advance. And, uh, you know, recessions are kind of like that. Like the economy grows, excesses build up. Sometimes they have to get washed away. Sometimes it's washed away through a slowdown. Sometimes it requires a little bit of recessionary activity. But um, when you think about those long-term statistics about earnings growth and how stocks compound and things like this, uh, you know, and you go back through history and you look like even if we are on the eve of a very significant recession, uh, it doesn't really derail the 10-year potential uh, for the stock market. So, uh, you know, we tend to think about it in those terms uh, that, uh, you know, there will be slowdown, there will be, uh, there will be periods too where the economy grows above trend. And, you know, we have to be prudent in both of those periods of time. Uh, the way that we do it within the portfolio is, is uh, you know, this range of outcomes. We run them for each scenario or each company. So sometimes companies are, are trading at a more elevated multiple on a very cheery consensus. And those are stocks that we're trying to take from, uh, from the strategy. And other times you have very good companies that are trading at a very attractive valuation because their business is under a bit of pressure at that juncture. And those are the stocks that we want to add to. And we think about the stock market in exactly the same way when it comes to asset mix in a portfolio and when we want to add and subtract money to the overall stock market. Um, but all of that should be additive to the long-term return potential of the stock market. If we, if we just stay the course, we should get what's available over the next 10 years. And if we use our investment processes, we should be able to add to that. Uh, some of it's behavioral, some of it's mathematical. There's all sorts of tools in the kit. But um, normally it involves putting more money to work when people are concerned and taking some money when people are very enthusiastic. Yes, and uh, and your success speaks for itself uh, in terms of any of the investment portfolios that you've been involved in managing. Uh, just uh, last question: the the I, I know you have a very firm belief 
that it's important for investment managers. So professional investment managers who are managing publicly available investment funds, uh, that the investment manager has a stake uh, in the investment portfolio that they're managing. I know this is a really big thing for you. Why do you think it's so important that the investment manager invests in the portfolio that they're managing for other people? Uh, well, it's uh, there's many reasons for it. Uh, you know, first and foremost, you absolutely have to eat your own cooking. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know how you could... Uh, yeah, you couldn't possibly uh, uh, subscribe uh, a different uh, uh, medication than when you take yourself. So, um, you know, it's very important. Uh, you know, I have an investment portfolio. I have an investment plan just like everyone else. And I think our products, uh, our strategies, uh, uh, you know, are going to get us there over, over long periods of time. I think the second thing is, too, is that as an investor, uh, you have to acknowledge that uh, your co-investors, who are your unit holders, that investing can be emotional at times. Yeah. And... You know, a lot of the a lot of the um, the reason to long-term success is acknowledging that emotion during some of these elevated periods, and then also being able being able to explain what's going on in the portfolio and how you thought about it, and in you know, it's my money alongside yours, and this is how we've positioned for uh, further upside when when things turn and what have you, and and that kind of notion of partnership, yes. uh, I think, is very yes. important uh, to what I think can be somewhat you know, at times, anyways, emotional, the emotional yeah, yeah, experience absolutely. that people are having. So you want to be on the same plane as they are. As they are. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And, you know, along with, uh, with, with your reputation for, uh, for, for the success you've had managing money uh, and, and, and your intelligence, which we, we, we talked about in the introduction, uh, it's, it's your integrity, I think, that uh, is a real hallmark of the way you and your team and the people you work with manage money. So uh, great to have you here. Uh, again, it was far too long. Hopefully, we'll get you back, and uh, thanks for your time. Okay. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.